Well, good morning. I like it. It's good to see you. It's good to see those of you who are in the room. I also want to say a special welcome to everybody joining us online. I love that you got up and are tuning in with us right now in the moment. And then I also want to say a special welcome to our 608 students, middle school and high schoolers in the room. Yes, welcome. We are so glad that you're here today as well. Well, today is a big day for us at Heartland because today we begin a new vision series and we turn the page on what I would call Heartland Chapter 3. Now, for some of you, it's like, what's Chapter 1 and 2 all about, right? You didn't know we were in Chapter 2 right now, but uh, I'll tell you in just a little bit because I recognize that you at some point, maybe in the very recent past, just showed up and maybe you got invited, but you walked through the doors of what did not look like a typical church building, and you looked around and you're like, this is different, and then you got some coffee and you realized the coffee was fresh, and you came in here and the band sounded great, and uh, you stuck around, and so here you are. But you should know that it was not always this way. I mean, the band was always pretty good, but you know, no offense to those of you on the band, but you've gotten better, right? And uh, for those of you who have been around from the very beginning, you know that we have a very unique story. I actually, of all my friends that have planted churches or lead churches, I do not know of another church that got its start the way we got our start. And so to catch those of you who are newer to Heartland up to speed on chapters one and two, and to remind those of you who have been around from the beginning, I want to kind of walk through our past a little bit quickly. Obviously, we're going to leave a ton out, but I'm going to touch on the highlights of it. And if I were to break our history up, I really would break it up into two chapters so far. And if I were to give those chapters a title, I would call chapter one simply The Founding. I know that's very creative, right? Listen, I'm not that creative. Dugan's creative, I'm not, despite all of you thinking we are the same person with the same personality, it's not true. He's creative, I'm good at other things. (laughs) But the Heartland story begins in the summer of 2007. In 2007, there was a 30 plus year old church here in Sun Prairie called Pathway. And Pathway had a solid group of people who were passionate about reaching their community with the good news of Jesus. But Pathway was in transition themselves. They were looking for their next lead pastor and for the next vision that God had for them. After a lot of prayer and discernment and conversation, they reached out to a thriving church down in in Rockford, Illinois, and they said, would you help? The leaders of that church, Heartland, Heartland Rockford, said yes, and they decided to turn Pathway into a campus of Heartland Rockford. And so in September of 2007, Heartland Sun Prairie was born with my wife and I coming up to lead the new campus. Almost immediately, a buzz in Sun Prairie started to grow, and within a couple of weeks, another local church called Prairie Life Center reached out to me and asked if they could be part of what God was doing here. While Pathway had this solid core group of people, what they did not have was a church building to meet in, which ironically was one of the main things that Prairie Life Center had, because that's normal, right? When you start a new church and you don't have a place to meet, you pick up a phone call one day from a number you don't recognize, you answer to somebody who you've never talked to before, and they say, hey, I have a church building I need to get rid of, do you want it? Is that normal? I don't think so. But so all three churches were combined into one, and we moved into the space at the far end of this building, the the space that is now Heartland Kids. That was the entirety of our church early on. 
And the question was, could we take people from three different churches across two different states, combine them into one, and see if we could do life together in a way where God would move? And the answer was a resounding yes. The people of this new church quickly opened their arms to each other and to people who would self-describe themselves as being far from God. Our little church started to grow, and God continued to do what only God can do, which is change lives. That growth brought challenges, including the need for more local leadership. Heartland was established as an elder-led church, but because we were a campus of Heartland Rockford, all of the elders, all of the leaders were living out of state. As we grew, the need for more local leadership started to become very, very you know, noticeable. The other thing that started to happen was as we grew, the desire also grew for more local teaching. Because we were a campus of Heartland Rockford, all of our teaching in those early days was on video from the Heartland Rockford teaching pastors. But as we grew, so did the desire for more personalized content from the pastors that lived here in Sun Prairie. And so the decision was made to launch Heartland Sun Prairie into a new chapter as its own locally-led independent church, which is what I would, I would call Heartland's Chapter 2 Autonomy. The process to separate Heartland from a campus into its own local church took three years, but on January 1st, 2017, I signed about 300 legal documents, most of which I didn't know what they said. And no joke, Heartland's chapter two began. That's actually not true. We did a very, very good job reading those documents. So please, I just realized I should clarify that that was a joke. God continued to do what only God can do, and the church continued to grow. It grew to the point where we had a decision to make. On one hand, we could get really comfortable. We could be very happy and satisfied with our full rooms and our happy church and people who mostly knew everybody else. But in doing so, give up the opportunity to reach more people with the good news of Jesus, or we could do something different. We could take some radical steps to be different. Heartlanders responded powerfully. They were not willing to accept that we had no more space for God to change the lives of more people. And so Heartlanders started to give generously at a level we had never given before. And through the Deep and Wide Generosity Initiative in 2019, land was purchased, our building was expanded, and all signs and indicators pointed towards us moving into the building in 2020 with momentum like never before. And what happened? COVID happened, yes. The pandemic hit and everything changed. We closed our doors to in-person gatherings. We kind of mothballed our brand new space. We moved our services online. We asked you to join us in your living rooms on Sunday morning. And with the Safer at Home order in effect, we were forced to pretty much stop all other ministries as well as everything that we were doing out in the community. We had to. At the time, we had no idea what we were dealing with. We didn't know if COVID-19 would end up being more like the flu or more like the bubonic plague, so we all bunkered down in our homes and focused on ourselves and the select few people who were inside our little bubble. The isolation of spring bled into summer, and things really didn't get much better. Safer at home expired, but it was replaced with face coverings and social distancing. Summer became fall, our kids didn't go back to school, and parents like my wife Ashley and I became homeschool monitors to three kids, all of whom did math a really weird way that I still do not understand. (laughs) 
It's like, what are you doing? Draw a box over it. You're going to end up with like long division here. It's going to look like a scalene triangle, and you'll have a remainder. And they just looked at me like, you're nuts, Dad. And I looked at them like they're nuts. Well, finally, in February of this year, we reopened our building to in-person worship services. And my hope and my prayer through it all was that our church family would continue to grow in their faith. My hope and my prayer all throughout COVID had been that the trajectory that so many of you were on when we opened our building in the, in the winter spring of 2020, my hope and prayer was that even while we were not meeting, your faith would continue to thrive. While we had to push the pause button on our in-person gatherings, my hope and prayer was that once we finally reopened, we would simply push the play button and we would pick up right where we had left off. Unfortunately, It broke my heart to realize that was not the case. And for the vast majority of people that I talked to, it seemed like coming out of COVID, their faith felt stale, and they felt stuck in their faith, and for some of them, sadly, it had been left completely behind. And this caused me to wrestle with God like never before. I wrestled with God asking questions like, God, what are you doing? Why would you allow this? Lord, how are you going to bring any good from this? I felt like I had stayed in tune with the Holy Spirit throughout COVID. I felt like I was leading the church the way God was asking me to, but I couldn't figure out what to do with this tension between, on one hand, feeling like I had led the church the way God had asked me to lead the church, with, on the other hand, seeing so many people struggling in their faith. What do I do with that, God? Again, I asked questions like, what are you doing? Where are you leading? Where are we supposed to go from here? It is no exaggeration when I say that the last 18 months have been the most confusing, the most discouraging, the most difficult to navigate season of ministry I have ever experienced by far. And so what did I do? Well, I got down on my knees, and I started praying. I cried out to God. I asked him where he was leading us over and over and over and over again, like the parable of the persistent neighbor who won't stop knocking on their neighbor's door at night. I just kept coming to God with my questions. What's going on? What are you doing? Where are you leading? Where do we need to go next? What should our focus be? Well, before he gave me clarity on the answer to those questions, what he first gave me clarity on was more of what I felt like or more of what I think was happening in the faith lives of so many people in our church family. It boiled down to four things. And so I'm curious as I walk through these four things how much this will resonate with those of you today, whether you're in the room or even still online. You don't have to answer out loud. But as I prayed about this and as God gave me discernment, as I talked with people in our church, I realized that I think what was happening was that it all began with a lack of engagement. So many people that I talked to told me about how when we first closed our doors to in-person gatherings, they moved online with us. Each Sunday, they would get up, get ready, get the coffee prepared ahead of time, get their children squared away, put the service on, and worship right there with us faithfully. But slowly, over time, the kids became a bigger and bigger distraction. 
Staying in bed a little bit later became more and more easy, more and more comfortable. Technical issues became more and more annoying. And when summer came and the opportunity to finally get outside became a reality, after several months of sheltering in place orders, they found themselves doing other things on Sunday mornings and engaging with our weekend services less and less and less. Without the anchor that is our Sunday morning gatherings in their life, without the keystone habit of, of coming and worshiping on Sunday morning, you know what a keystone habit is? A keystone habit is a, it's kind of like the first domino to fall. A keystone habit is a habit that causes other habits to kick in as well. Without the weekend gathering serving as a keystone habit, people were less inspired to do those things that they had previously been doing throughout the week. So they started to spend less time reading their Bibles on their own at home, hearing from God directly themselves Monday through Saturday. They started to spend less and less time in prayer. And because of the need to socially distance, they had pretty much stopped sharing their faith with other people. And they stopped serving pretty much anywhere out in the community. That lack of engagement with their faith led to a lack of momentum. As people got further and further and further away from the Sunday morning worship gatherings, and then as a result, further and further and further away from reading the Bible, hearing from God, talking to him through through prayer, sharing their faith and serving, all of the momentum they had in their faith before COVID slowly, subtly came to a stop. And for many people, at some point over the last, I don't know, last year, last six months, they realized that not only had their faith plateaued at some point because of COVID, but it had actually drifted backwards. That not only were they not closer to God than before COVID, many people I talked to said, John, I feel much further away from him. That lack of engagement, which led to a lack of momentum in their faith, caused a lack of clarity. Maybe you can relate to this. But people got to the point where they, they just didn't know where their faith was going. They, they, kind of the clarity around why their faith was such an important part of their life previously started to get a little more fuzzy. They didn't know where God was leading them. They didn't know if God was leading them at all. The lack of clarity made them question, you know, what role does faith play in my life? What role do I want faith to play in my life going forward? And maybe some of you are still there asking these deeply significant questions about your faith. That lack of clarity extends to the church and it became a lack of vision. What are we doing again? Why are we doing that? What is it that we're trying to accomplish? Why do I serve? I don't, I don't know if I feel inspired to serve right now. You know, I, actually, I don't know if I really felt inspired to serve before. I'm not, I don't really know why I was doing it. Why do I give? Man, there's a million other things I could do with my money right now that feel like they should be priorities in my life. I mean, does all this really matter? Like, what am I funding with the church, with my giving? Why, why do I do this? And I believe that lack of engagement, that lack of momentum, that lack of clarity led to a lack of vision for us as a church. And we know without vision, we have no focus. Without vision about what God wants to do in us through other people's lives, we become pretty self-centered people. God tells us through Proverbs that without vision, we perish And through my wrestling with God, I came to believe pretty confidently this is what was going on in the lives of people at Heartland, and I felt two things. 
first of all, I felt incredibly sad. I felt sad. It broke my heart. It broke my heart to see people in our, in our church family drifting in their faith. It broke my heart to realize that we didn't just push pause and that we wouldn't be able to just push play and pick right up where we had left off. I felt sad for those of you who feel stuck in your faith. I felt sad for our church as a whole. And to be very transparent with you, I felt sad for myself. Ashley and I had, had a little moment of like, not a little moment, we had a long season of grieving. We realized that we were deeply grieving the loss of what we thought 2020 and 2020 would bring. We felt like we had come so far. We were on such a fantastic trajectory. But then, despite how sad I felt, the more that I prayed and the more clarity that God gave me, the more I started to feel determined. I felt a new resolve growing inside of me. And then just a couple of months ago, God gave me what I believe is the vision for the next chapter in our story here at Heartland, what I would call Heartland Chapter 3, The Shift. Let me tell you how this happened. It began with God taking me back to the reason that we exist in the first place. He took me back to what we regularly call the Great Commission, After Jesus went to the cross and laid down his life, God raised him back to life again. He spent six weeks with his disciples, teaching them, answering their questions, giving them instructions to move forward. And before he ascended back into heaven to be with the Father, Matthew, one of the guys who was there that day, tells us that this is what Jesus said to them. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God reminded me, this is why we are here. This is why Heartland exists, to make disciples. And God reminded me that he has placed us in an environment where this is so incredibly desperately needed. He reminded me that he planted us, he got us our start in a way that only he can, but he planted us in a community that is growing like crazy. Here in Sun Prairie, we live in a city of 45,000 people, but we are surrounded by a county with over a half a million people living in it, the vast majority of whom do not have a church home because they do not know their Savior. Many of them living in our communities are new to the area, which means they are disconnected from their family and disconnected from their friends, and because they don't have a church home and their faith, they don't know their Savior, they are disconnected from God. Because of that, they are drifting through life trying to do the best that they can. But for so many people in our community today, they are not doing well. Even though on the surface, everything appears neat and tidy. But what we know is because of statistics that just below the surface, many people all around us are dying inside. Depression and anxiety rates are higher than they have ever been. Our kids are struggling in ways we have never seen a generation of kids struggle. Marriages are collapsing at a rate faster than they have ever collapsed after 18 months of being stuck at home together. And the list of problems facing people in our community goes on and on and on and on. The point is that people are hurting and we have the answer. 
The answer is a savior, and his name is Jesus. At Heartland, we articulate our mission this way. We would say that we exist to awaken our diverse community to Jesus. That is why we are here today. That is what we are trying to do together. That is our mission and our focus to help people who are spiritually asleep be awakened to the good news that is life with Jesus, real life that will fulfill them now and for all of eternity. And so first, What God did for me was he reminded me why we exist and what it is that we are trying to do. Then he drew my mind back to those four ways that so many people were hurting, the lack of engagement, the lack of momentum, the lack of clarity, and the lack of vision. He burdened me even more deeply for people with those things, and he impressed on me a reminder that this is not how it's supposed to be. Instead, He brought my mind to a passage of scripture that I believe illustrates an alternative. It illustrates the life that God wants all of us to experience. It's recorded for us in Hebrews chapter 11, and it describes the type of things that men and women of the Old Testament did because of their faith in God. I want to read this extended passage to you, but as I do it, I want to invite you not to hear these words about what people did because of their faith a long time ago. I want you to hear these words read over you, knowing that this is the type of life that God wants you to experience today. These are examples of the types of things that God wants to do through your life today. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read, beginning in verse 5, that by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham, when called by God to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, a place he had never been before, he obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. God, give us some Moseses today. And what more shall I say? I don't even have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, and about David and Samuel and the prophets who, through their faith, conquered kingdoms, who administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses were turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. These verses articulate the type of life that God is inviting you to live today. 
These verses articulate the types of things that I believe with every fiber in my being God wants to do in our community today. And I'll be the first to admit that not everything on that list sounds like fun. I don't know about you, but I'm not looking to be flogged anytime soon. I'd rather not be sawed in two, right, or killed by the sword. There will be some challenges ahead if we are gonna live this type of life, if we're gonna see God do in our community what God has done in other communities. But even for them, even for the people who faced incredible difficulty, did you see what the writer of Hebrews sat back and was inspired by God? It's like he was writing about what people did and what people experienced, and he sat back, he paused for a moment to think about the reality of being flogged and stoned for their faith. And God impressed on them, listen, the world was not worthy of them. Let's not be like everybody else in our world today. My my invitation to you, I believe the invitation from God is to be people of whom this world is not worthy. Let's do the things that set us apart. We're told that some of these people administer justice. Let's be people who fight for justice in a world that is filled with injustice today. Some of them quench the fury of the flames. Let's be people who push back the flames of hell, back where they belong. Let's do the work to expand the kingdom of God in our community and in communities all around the world. Some of the people in this list escaped the edge of the sword. 608 students especially, let me tell you that there are swords being swung at your head every day. Swords of alcohol and marijuana. Swords of sex and pornography. Swords of isolation and depression. But listen to me, you do not have to be killed by the sword. You do not have to take a fall like so many teenagers take in our world today. By going through your teenage years with Christ and by surrounding yourself with the right people, like the people who are pouring their life into you at 608 and the other students at 608, you can walk through your teenage years having escaped the edge of the sword. Some of the people on this list were told they they gained what was promised. Let me ask you, church, what was promised to us? What promise did Jesus make? He promised that he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Let's be the ones through whom he does that building. Let's do the work of building his church. Let's beat back the gates of hell in our community and beyond. That will take some work. That does not happen by accident. We cannot show up once in a while and go through the motions and expect to shut the mouths of lions. It doesn't work that way. It only works when we show up consistently and regularly and we roll up our shirt sleeves and we do the hard work that is pushing back the gates of hell, that is building God's church. Now let me say, because maybe some of you are wondering about this, maybe you've got an objection going, yeah, but it's not about our works, right? Yeah, there is a tension to this. It's not a problem to solve, and to find resolution in, but there is a tension to this. On one hand, we know that we are saved by grace alone. It is not by work so that no one can boast. 
It is only, we are only saved by the grace of God based on what we believe. But on the other hand, God reminds us through verses like James 2.27 that faith without works is dead. That kind of faith that doesn't get lived out in our, our tangible daily actions and what we do with our lives is worthless. It's lifeless. He says you might as well dig a grave for it and throw your faith in there because that's what it's worth. Right? What we believe is revealed by what we do. If there's no doing, you don't actually believe anything. And that verse is not an isolated verse. I could pull dozens of passages of Scripture that, that illustrate this. Passages like Ephesians 2.10, which says we are God's workmanship. Some translations say we are God's masterpieces. We were created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works. It doesn't say we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus just to believe the right things or to have good theology. It doesn't say we were created in Christ Jesus to, to you know, square away our, our dogma or our doctrine. It says that we were created in Christ Jesus. We've been created to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. And so there's this tension and I think that in the first two chapters of our story so far, we have always drifted. If we were going to err, we erred on the side of believing the right things. Wanting to make it very clear that we are not saved by our works, I think we drifted over here to what we think and what we believe. We wanted to make sure everybody understood, listen, you do not get God to love you by what you do. He just loves you. You are loved already. You, you don't need to try to earn God's love. And so as a result, if we were going to err, we always chose to err on the side of simply believing good theology. But here's the deal. I think that we have all had a very long break from actually doing the things outside of our homes that push back the gates of hell and expand God's church, which I'm not blaming anybody for. I'm not even saying this is you. I'm including myself in that as well. I'm, I'm right there with you. I've lived the same 18 months you've lived, right? We were stuck at home. It's hard to expand the kingdom of God into the lives of more people when you're not supposed to go be around other people. But I believe with everything in me that it is time to turn the page on that chapter. And I believe that God wants to do some amazing things in our community today, and he is inviting us to be on the front lines of seeing it happen. The more that I've prayed and processed and the more that God has worked in my heart, I believe that God is literally raring to go. He is ready and wanting to administer some justice, to do some quenching of the flames, to escape some swords, and to see us bring about what he has promised. And I believe that there is a role for every single one of you in it. I was in my office a couple of months ago praying about all of this, and I felt like God was really just impressing on me how there is a spot, there is a role, there is work for every single person in our church community to, to, to play a, a part in this. And all at once, it hit me. God gave me this, this sentence that summed it all up, our new vision statement, if you will. And I walked out of my office to see the staff gathered around the lunch table. Everybody was eating lunch together while I was in my office praying about this. And just, and uh, I came out of the office and I threw my arms up in the air and I was like, I've got it. 
God gave me our new vision statement for Heartland Chapter 3, and this is it. Our vision is that every single one of us is doing something to advance God's kingdom. That's the shift that I believe God is inviting us to make today. Our vision is that every single one of us would be doing things that advance God's kingdom. Now, let me break this down. There's three very important parts to this. First of all, our vision is for every single one of us. This vision is not for a select few. It's not for the veteran Christians in the room. It's not for the people who have a lot of scripture memorized. I don't care if you've been a Christian or a follower of Jesus for 75 years or if all of this is brand new to you, there is a spot for you here. There is work that you can do and we want you to be a part of it. Second, the vision is that every single one of us is doing something. Do something big Do something small, just don't do nothing. You know how you get momentum when you're standing over a bicycle, not going anywhere? Well, for me, I hook my German short-haired pointer up to the front of it, and he takes off like a bat out of you know where, and I just get drug around the neighborhood. It's very, very fun. But for most of you, when you're stopped on a bicycle and you want to get some momentum, you have to start pedaling. You have to take some latent energy and you have to put it into motion. You have to take that energy and put it into action. There's some latent energy inside of you. Now, I recognize that some of you want to object to that. Some of you are like, John, there is not much latent energy inside of me. In fact, it's the opposite. I'm incredibly tired. But if that's you, I would ask you to pray and see if what is actually going on is something different. I think for most of us, what you're actually tired of is everything else going on. You're tired of the drama. You're tired of the noise. You're tired of the fighting. You're tired of trying to stay up with what you're supposed to do when and where and which county line did you cross? You're tired of being alone. You're tired of not seeing God work in your life the way that you would want him to. You're tired of not seeing him do ministry through you. But I will tell you what will happen. When you start to activate those muscles that have been getting atrophied over the last 18 months, you're going to realize there is some pent-up energy in here. And when you start to work those muscles, not only will you feel engaged, but you're going to start to build some momentum too. Those things that I said is going on in so many people, a lack of engagement, a lack of momentum, a lack of clarity, a lack of vision, those start to go away because when you engage, you become engaged. And when you become engaged, you start to build momentum. The more momentum you build, the clarity will come. And when you start living your life, Life on vision, God will show up and do things that you would not want to miss out on. And finally, this vision is that every single one of us would be doing something to advance God's kingdom. And I want you to miss this. I'm not inviting you to join us in a vision to advance Heartland's kingdom. I'm not asking you to roll up your shirt sleeves and get to work so that we can advance John McNary's kingdom. Some of you don't even know who John McNary is, and that's perfectly okay. (laughs) Here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. I'm not asking you to do the work that will advance your own kingdom. I'm inviting you to do the work to advance God's kingdom. I think more than ever before, we are all interested in in advancing our own kingdom. 
There are a million products and companies and invitations that promise to help you build your own kingdom, but that's not what I believe God is inviting you into this morning. He's inviting you into a vision where you roll up your shirt sleeves and do some things to advance his kingdom. And understanding that and keeping that vision front and center will make all the difference. I believe that God is inviting us in chapter three to do some things that will expand the kingdom of God into more lives. He's inviting us to push back on the darkness and to shine a light into corners of society that need a light shined on them. He's inviting us to shine a light into the lives of people who have been living in darkness and when they see that light, it will be appealing to them and it will cause their eyes to be awakened to Jesus. Imagine what would happen if we all rally around that vision. Imagine what would, what would happen for you personally as you watch God work through you and, and the lives of other people, as you get to be a part of him doing things in people's lives that you know that's going to have an impact that lasts for all of eternity. I believe it will light you up in a way that you haven't been lit up in quite some time. You'd feel like, you're starting to realize your potential. You feel like this is what I was made for. And so I'm not even inviting you to just do the things that we've been doing around here. I'm not saying it'll all be the same that it was in chapter two. No, I'm talking about some new things. I'm talking about you fulfilling some new roles. One of the things that we wanna do together with you as we try to do the work of advancing God's kingdom is we want to we come up with new things, new ministry, new opportunities, new leadership roles for you to step into. We want to dream together with you. We want you to dream together with us about what God might want to do in our faith community. In fact, one of the things that we've already put on the calendar in anticipation of this is what we're calling our very first dream meeting. On Thursday, October 7th, we're going to have a dream meeting here at Heartland where we're just going to invite people to come together, and that's all we're going to do. There's really not much agenda beyond dreaming together. We're going to pray and ask God what he wants to do. We're going to talk about what he's been percolating inside of you. We're going to listen to hear what holy discontents you are feeling. What are the problems in society that you feel like God is calling you to address? And then we're going to come together around that. We're going to bounce ideas off of each other. We're going to talk about how Heartland can equip and assist and encourage and release you to do those things. We'll talk about ministries that Heartland should exist. We'll talk about things that should happen outside the walls of this church and outside this ministry. We want to open the door to not what we want to do, but to what God is calling us to do. And I can already see us launching new ministries. I get excited because I can see people launching new nonprofit organizations in our community. I get excited because I think God wants to send some of you out as missionaries into parts of the world where they do not know the good news of Jesus. I see people discovering their spiritual gifts and starting to use those gifts in ways that they've never used before. I see us serving in ways that, that, that serve the kingdom big and small. I see people with just a little bit of time stepping into roles that, that we've had for a decade plus now, but you've just not been serving. Well, we want to fill those. We want an overflow. We want an abundance of people doing that work, those works that invest in the next generation, that serve in the lives of kids. 
I see people discovering that they have the spiritual gift of giving. You have the capacity to make a lot of money, and God wants to invite you to release it to fund those initiatives in our community, to invest it in ways that will make ripples for all of eternity. I see us taking meals to our neighbors, causing our neighbors to go, there's something different about that neighbor. I see us serving individuals with disabilities and special needs, tutoring kids in the local schools, spending time with the elderly in nursing homes. I see us doing things that will advance the kingdom of God by awakening our diverse community to Jesus. And the only question I have for you today is what will you do? What will you do? What's God gonna invite you to do? What's the work that he wants to do through you? What is the, the work that he has prepared in advance for you to do? What are those good works? Will you go with us into the next chapter of our story? Will you be the founding members of Heartland's chapter three? Will you help us write the story of chapter three together? That when we look back on the third chapter of Heartland's story, people hear about the things that God did through you? Will you go out of this place on Sunday morning and go out into your neighborhoods and your workplaces and your schools and take the good news, the glory of Jesus with you? And then will you gather back here consistently on Sunday morning so that we can celebrate and cheer each other on and encourage and lift one another up to pray for one another and maybe best of all, to simply stand in the presence of our Savior and worship him. And will you join us in praying that God would build his church in our community, in our day, through us. There's a worship song that our staff has been singing lately like over and over and over again. I can't get this song out of my head because no matter where I go in the offices during the week, somebody on our staff is singing this song. And so when we started to dream about what this would look like today, there was like unanimous agreement. We have to close our services by standing and singing, build your church. So I wanna invite you to stand where you are right now. And the invitation to, would be that you would Use the words and the lyrics of this song to be the prayer of your heart. Would you join us in praying that God would build his church today?